George Gallup did a study in which he concluded that the average church member knows 40 other church members by name. He said they have a circle of 11 or 12 friends and one or two close friends. Why is it that we choose some people to be friends while we do not choose others? Frank Clark said, to enjoy a friend, I need more in common with him than hating the same people. Well, I believe that one of the reasons we choose people is because we have common experiences with them. For instance, if we grew up in the same town or the same region, then there is potential for a friendship. Robert Stevenson, the famous Scottish engineer and grandfather of Robert Louis Stevenson, had a parade in honor of his hundredth and the hundredth anniversary of his birth. And there was a, a small group of peasants present from the village where he had grown up. They were holding up a sign that says, He was one of us. There is a sense in which we identify with people and we are receptive to people from the region where we grew up. For instance, when I happen to see a car with a Texas tag on it, I'm always curious about the people inside. They might be from the area where I'm from, or they might know some of the people that I know. So there is a receptivity to them. When I'm somewhere else and I see a car with a South Carolina tag on it, I have that same curiosity. Where are they from? Do I know them? Do they know someone that I know? So I think that sometimes we choose our friends because we grew up in the same area. There is a geographic connection. It could be that there is an education connection. Maybe we went to the same high school or the same elementary school or the same university. Sometimes it is our profession that binds us together with other people who become our friends. I received this from one of you. I'm not sure who it was. But there was a, there was a small southern town and a trial was taking place. The first witness to be called was a was a little southern grandmother, and she was on the stand, had been sworn in. And the prosecutor asked her the question, Mrs. Jones, do you know who I am? She said, why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Smith. I've known you since you were a young boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, and you manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you never will amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. Well, he was absolutely stunned, didn't know what to say, and so he pointed to the defense attorney and said, Mrs. Jones, do you know him? She said, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster, too. He's lazy, bigoted, he has a drinking problem. He can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Not to mention, he cheated on his wife with three different women. One of them was your wife. Yes, I know him. <laughs> the judge called both attorneys to approach the bench, and when they got there, he said, If either one of you ask her if she knows me, I'll send you to the electric chair. <laughs> Sometimes it is our profession that brings us together. 
Sometimes it's common interest. Maybe it's politics. Perhaps it is business or sports. My grandson, uh, Hank, will be a friend to anyone if they like the Gamecocks and the Atlanta Braves. Some people choose their friends on a spiritual basis. In fact, I read recently, I did not know this, that there are over a hundred different names given in the New Testament who are said to be friends of the Apostle Paul. Today we're going to continue our study from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 19, and our focus is on friendship. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. A true friend is one of the great blessings in life, and we need friends. A youth minister told a story about attending the Special Olympics in his community. Andrew, one of the church members, was running in the 220-yard dash. And so when the gun sounded, Andrew took off with the rest of them. He quickly got out in front and was 50 yards ahead. When he happened to look back and see that his best friend had fallen, he stopped. The people in the crowd began to cry out, Run, Andrew, run! But he didn't. He went back to his friend, helped get him up, and hand in hand, they finished the race dead last. Like Andrew, a friend is faithful. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Now, we know when he is referring here to deceitful kisses, he is speaking about someone who pretends to be our friend, but is not. Now, certainly Judas would qualify there. He pretended to be a friend of Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He listened to Jesus. He was a disciple. He was the treasure of the disciples. And yet he betrayed Jesus with a deceitful kiss. We know what it is to have deceitful kisses. Right now, we're in the political season. It seems that we always are. And when someone is running for office, they are our best friend. 
But after they are elected, we don't hear from them again. We call, they don't take our calls, we write and receive a form letter back from them. Deceitful kisses. You see, there are those fair weather friends who come in when things are good and go out when things are not good. So he talks about deceitful kisses, those who pretend to be friends, but they are not. And then he mentions faithful wounds. A friend will wound us for our benefit. Frank Clark wrote, A valuable friend is one who will tell you what you should be told, even if it offends you. Now, we want a doctor like that. When I go see Dr. Reinhardt, my doctor, he will usually say to me in the examination room, Now, I am not your friend today. I'm your doctor. Well, I know what that means. That means that he might tell me something I really don't want to hear, but he tells me what I need to hear. Parents, sometimes you have to dispense faithful wounds to your children. When my children were little, I made a conscious decision not to be their friend. My rationale was this. They had many opportunities to have friends. They had one opportunity to have a dad, and that was me. So I made the decision that I would not be their friend, but that I would be their father. I knew there would be times when I had to tell them no. I knew there would be times when I had to discipline them. And the serendipity of it all is that when they became adults, they became my best friends. As a father, as a parent, there are times when you have to administer faithful wounds. A faithful pastor will tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. Paul wrote in Galatians 4.16, Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? So the Bible teaches us that a friend is faithful. And then a friend is honest. How can you have a friend who is not honest? You are aware that one of my closest friends is Charles Jackson, the pastor of the Brookland Baptist Church. And the reason I think that I value him so highly is because he is absolutely honest, transparent, and I have been enriched and greatly blessed as a result of an honest relationship with him. A friend is honest. A friend is loyal. Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. Someone wrote, A friend is one to whom one may pour out all the contents of one's heart, chaff and grain together, knowing that the gentlest of hands will take and sift it, keep what is worth keeping, and with a breath of kindness... Blow the rest away. A friend is loyal. Irma Bombeck said that a friend is like a tube of toothpaste. There's always a little left. And that's the way a friend is. No matter what has happened, no matter what you've done, a real friend, a true friend, a loyal friend is always your friend. They love you anyway. But now listen, he says that not only is a true friend your friend, but the friend of your family. Young people, listen to me for just a minute. A real friend 
real friend will never drive a wedge between you and your parents. A real friend will never encourage you to do something that your parents have said not to do. A real friend is loyal to you, but also loyal to your family. We need friends that are honest, that are faithful, that are loyal. Now, Timothy was a friend of Paul, we see in verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul met Timothy on his first missionary journey and led him to Christ. And then on his second missionary journey, he enlisted him as a helper. And their friendship was based on a kindred spirit. Look at verse number 20 again. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. The words kindred spirit are two Greek words that mean same soul. Paul is saying that Timothy and I share the same soul. And the spirit of Timothy, as a servant, stood in contrast to the spirit of the world, which is selfishness. Did you know that selfishness is condemned as being a sin? The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Selfishness is divisive. One of the reasons that our churches become divided so often is that Someone is selfish, they insist on having their way, and so the church is divided. There was a father who took his uh, two children, a little boy and a little girl, to the amusement park, and they wanted to ride the merry-go-round, and so he decided that he would let them ride the same horse. And so he put the little boy on, the little girl behind him, and they're riding the horse around the merry-go-round. After a while, the little boy turned to his sister and said, if one of us would get off, there'd be more room for me. Selfishness always requires someone to get off. But the Bible says that our attitude is to be of a servant, and that was Timothy. Look at what Paul said in verse 22. You know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Paul, as he spoke of this friend, said, you know about his proven worth. His commitment to people proved his worth. He is a partner in the gospel. He shared with me in the field. He said he's a faithful son. Folks, if we are believers, we are supposed to be servants, not selfish. I was reading an article last week, I believe that it was, and it was a study that was done about churches and growing churches and so forth. And in this study, the question was asked, why do you go to church? And the people responded, well, I go to church because I like the music. I go to church because the children's program is great, because the dramas are exciting and so forth. And then the second question was asked, if the music wasn't so great and the children's programs weren't so wonderful and the dramas were not so exciting, would you still go? And without hesitation, all of them responded, no which would indicate that people are going to church oftentimes not to serve, but to be served. Let me ask you that same question. Why do you go to church?
Do you go to be served? Or do you go to serve? The scripture teaches us that we are supposed to be servants. Do you see opportunities to serve? That could be this morning that some of you came across a mother who was trying to herd her children into Sunday school. She had one on her hip and another one running loose in a diaper bag and trying to get through the door. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you help her? Did you reach out to serve her? When you come across someone who is visiting the church, do you go out of your way to make them feel welcome? Do you remember how awkward it is when you visit a church for the first time? I do that on my vacation because I just want to be reminded as to how it feels. All those doors, which one do I go through? What's on the other side? Are they going to welcome me? Is the pastor going to get up there and do something that embarrasses me? It's an awkward situation when people come to church. So do you go out of your way to say to those around you, I'm glad you're here. When you see someone walking in the hall, I'm scared that they might be members and I don't know who they are. They'll forgive you for that. It's saying nothing that is the problem. I remember when Linda and I were looking for a church for the, when uh, we were young marriage and we went to a church. There was a family there who invited us to go home with them and eat with them. They didn't know us, never met them before. But I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten their warmth to us, how they welcomed us. Do you do that? When you come across someone who is visiting in our church, do you make them feel welcome? When you see a prayer request or you hear a prayer request, do you see that as an opportunity to intercede on behalf of someone to really pray for them? When you come across someone who is grieving, do you comfort them? I've told you this before, but boy, it sticks with me. We were in Israel some years ago, and I remember being there at the gate or at the wall where the two gates were sealed up. And, and it was um, established that there were two openings in the wall. One was an entrance, the other was an exit. And so when the people went to the, to the temple, they would go through one entrance, and when they were leaving, they would come out the other. But if someone were grieved, they would enter through the exit, allowing the people to know that they were grieving. And people would gather around them and pray for them to minister to them. When you see someone who is grieving, do you reach out to them? Because, folks, there are rich rewards for being a servant. Barclay said others might be consumed with selfish ambition and might be concerned with their own interests alone. But Timothy's one desire was to serve Paul and to serve Christ in Christ's church. Timothy is the patron saint of all those who are quite content with the second place so long as they can serve. You know, one of the blessings of serving others is that you have a tendency to forget your own problems. When you begin to look out to other people and ask the question, how can I serve them, then we don't focus so much on ourselves. Isaiah 58.10 says, And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. Isn't that a wonderful promise? If you minister to other people, you forget about yourself and you are blessed. Not only that, but if you minister to other people, there's a better chance that they will minister to you when you need it.
But if we plan to take something out of the account later, then we better put something in the account now. Timothy was a friend of Paul who had a kindred spirit. Then there was Epaphroditus. He was a Gentile. He was a member of the Philippian church. His name means charming, and Paul affirms him as well. Paul said that he was a friend of value. Down in verse number 25, he says, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. He said, He is my brother. The word that is used there literally means from the same womb. Paul says he's like a brother to me. That's a good thing. I don't know if you have brothers or not. I have two. One is with the Lord now. What a blessing he was to my life. The other's a pastor in Houston. And they both are blessings to me. Paul says, Epaphroditus, well, he's like a brother to me. He said, he is a fellow worker. He says, he is in the vineyard. He labors with me. He works with me. He says that he is a fellow soldier. He was committed regardless. Barclay wrote, Epaphroditus was one with Paul in sympathy, one with him in work, one with him in danger. But not only was he of value to Paul, but also to the Philippians. In verse number 25, he continues, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Paul says, Epaphroditus is your messenger and my minister. You see, the church had sent him to Paul to minister to Paul during a time of need. Paul said, he's your minister to my need. He's a friend of value. He's a friend of compassion. Look at verse number 26. He was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. The word longing that is used there means a great desire. He was longing for you. He had a great desire to see you. It was his church because they were worried about him. See, he was a man who had compassion. And because the people were worried about him, he was longing to see them. Compassion. There are some people who have more compassion than others. Steve Phillips is a man of compassion. I mean, he really is. You know that. He's been here a long time. You know that he has a real compassionate heart. Jerry Wilson has a compassionate heart, really cares about people. Well, that was Epaphroditus. He was a, he was a man of compassion. He faithfully met Paul's needs. He was a friend of joy. Look at verse number 28. He says, therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy. Well, there are some friends who bring dread to us, aren't there? I mean, you know, I, you, I'm sure that you have friends like I do when you think, I'm, oh, my goodness, I hope they don't come. I mean, I love them. But, boy, they're consuming. They're high maintenance. I have some friends that... That uh, they are friends, but, but, you know, you sort of dread. There are other friends you have that when you think about them, it brings a smile to your face and joy to your heart. And that was Epaphroditus. He brings joy. He was a friend of commitment. Look at verse number 29b. And hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life. To complete what was deficient in your service to me. The word risking that is used there means to expose oneself. It is a gambler's word. It means to throw down a stake. And as Paul was thinking about this friend, he said he was willing to risk his life 
for a friend that he loved. Oh, that's a friend. He was willing to risk his life for a friend that he loved. But let me conclude. We have earthly friends. There are some that are blessings, some that are faithful, some that are honest, some that are loyal. Like Timothy and Epaphroditus. There are other friends that are not quite as committed. In fact, there was a time later in Paul's life when he was in prison again, and his friends were all gone. And so he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, At my first defense, no one supported me, all deserted me. Paul is on trial. He says, No one stood with me, they all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Sometimes our earthly friends disappoint us. Sometimes they fail us. But we have a heavenly friend who never does. And the scripture says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And my question to you then is this. Friends are a blessing. We need friends. We need those people in our lives. But do you know Jesus, the best friend? The one who sticks closer than a brother? Do you know him? You see, folks, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is God's Son who came to this earth to die on the cross to pay for our sins that we might be forgiven. And the Scripture says that he is the only way for us to be made right with God, for us to be forgiven of our sin. The Scripture says there is none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus came to die on the cross, and the Scripture says that when he died on the cross, that all of my sin and all of your sin was placed on him, and he paid for our sins, that he might offer to us the gift of eternal life. Have you ever received the gift of eternal life? Do you know Jesus? Folks, eternal life does not come as the result of being religious. It does not come as a result of being good. It comes as a result of knowing Jesus. And he is the only way of salvation. Do you know him? He's the best friend you'll ever have. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your love that is beyond our comprehension. And, Lord, it's my prayer today for those who have never come to know Christ that they might. That they might make a commitment of their lives to Jesus, receiving Him. Father, I pray for them today. Draw them unto Yourself. And for those who are looking for a church home, I pray they might feel welcome here. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please. And as we stand together, the choir is going to sing. As they sing, it's your opportunity to respond to the Lord. If you're without Christ, you've never come to know Jesus, come today. We'll have someone pray with you to answer your questions. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. You come. I'll greet you as you do.